Uh, We're calling an audible this morning. Some of you already know, but Pastor Matt, who was scheduled to preach this morning, got sick last night. I talked to him on the phone, and his voice sounded terrible. Poor guy. So keep him in your prayers. He really wanted to be with you, but uh, but last night it sounded like he was in uh, a considerable amount of discomfort. Uh, and uh, so keep him in your prayers. And this morning, what we're going to do is press pause on the um, series on the life of David that we were going to come back to after uh, after Easter. And we're going to look at a passage that's just meant a lot to me through the years. Um, something that uh, I've been forced to. To consider and, and reckon with personally. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant, which is a kingdom parable. And, uh, and, and that category, kingdom parable, really means, what it means is it's, it, through the telling of this parable, Jesus is describing some of what our kingdom life together should look like. That is, those who are members of, of his kingdom, uh, with the longing for the kingdom that, that he promises to us, uh, he speaks to us about how we are to relate to each other. And often they have uh, very practical implications for us. He talks to us about how we should think about our money or our time or our possessions or the work that we do. And in this case, specifically, he speaks to us about what forgiveness should look like uh, within the people of God, much like what Matthew was just praying about, forgive us our debts, Lord, as we forgive uh, uh, our debtors. And so uh, just to tell you that um, I've had a love-hate relationship with this parable uh, through the years because as much as I really love the idea of what Jesus is talking about here, he lays out a grand vision for what forgiveness should look like. He also details the work of forgiveness with significant personal cost, significant personal cost. And so as, as beautiful as the call is, it's also a hard one. And so as, as we lean into this passage, I would just like to initiate, before I even read it to you, by asking you to be ready to receive the challenging words that Jesus gives us here in this parable. Because it's right here, right in the challenge, where we are asked to reckon with the sheer gravity of the ways we are forgiven as God's people. Let's look together. This is Matthew 18. I'm going to read verses 21 through 35. Oh, I printed it because it's not in the bulletin. I printed out a lot of hard copies. And if you'd like one, just raise your hand and one of the deacons will be happy to bring you one. It looks like we're all good, which is good because I don't see a deacon ready to bring any to you. So (laughs) let's look together. And uh, this is hear the word of the Lord. Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. 
And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Oh Lord Jesus, would you magnify our hearts with an even deeper understanding of what it means that we are a forgiven people the community of the redeemed. Help us to feel the privilege of that status you've given to us. I pray as we hear from these words, as we consider them for our own lives, that Holy Spirit, you would be at work in our very own hearts, applying them to us, helping us to lean into them, that we might be shaped more and more to resemble the community you are building among us. And Lord, help me. Your servant who has failed at the task I'm speaking of more times than I care to admit. To speak with joy for these people and joy for the goodness of the gospel you've given to us. Would you bless us with these things, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was in a Starbucks. This was several years, true story, several years ago, maybe 10 years ago. I remember I was in a Starbucks and I was in a hurry, and it always seems that the weirdest, like, time-delaying things always seem to happen when you're in a hurry somewhere. And there are a few things that I remember about this. I remember the room was, uh, like, very empty. I think there were only three or four people at the, the coffee shop at the time. And this was before all that mess with people, like, probably you, ordering drinks through the app and then coming in and sliding in the front of the line to get their drinks. It was before any of this. So everything that happened was really predictable. And uh, there was a short line. There was one person in front of me, one person behind me. This is important. Uh, They place their order and and you do what you normally do. You go over to the drink, you pay, you go to the drink counter to wait for it. And then I went and I placed my order, okay? Okay. And then I go to the drink counter to wait for it. Everything's normal, right? The person who got their drink in front of me gets theirs, and I am correctly assuming that mine is the one who's coming up next, okay? And so I, you know, of course, what, what do we all do? We take, you know, take a step forward, you know, like I'm ready, okay? I'm ready to get it. And of course, they announce my drink that had come, and it happened almost in an instant. The sweet older lady who was behind me in line slid between me and what was rightfully mine and immediately I mean immediately grabbed the cup and put it to her lips and took a sip from it violating it forever okay 
And it was very curious because that was a piping hot coffee. So I don't understand how she was totally unfazed by, you know, putting this really hot coffee to her lips. And, uh, of course, everybody laughs about it. She realizes immediately what she did and apologizes profusely. Uh, The barista is laughing at it and already starting to make a replacement cup that no damage was done. But the other thing that was weird about it was her drink came out next, and it was like this icy frappuccino (laughs) thing with whipped cream. Like, how how did you confuse? Now, here's the question that I want to propose to you. What's the likelihood that after all of that, after all the laughter and the apologies and the forgiveness and all of that has happened, that it could happen again? Like, that would be virtually impossible, right? There's no way that that she would make the same mistake again for a second time. But if you were watching my body language, you would think that I was assuming that was possible. Like, I had a smile on my face, for sure, but you better believe I knew exactly where she was in the room when, you know, it was coming up, and I was positioning myself between her and the drink counter so that it couldn't, you know, I don't know, maybe I was in a hurry or something, I don't know, but there was no way that I was going to allow that kind of thievery to happen again, right? Because that's what we do. Whenever it's small, trivial things like that story where there's no damage done other than, you know, a few precious moments, or whether it's bigger things, like when we've been wounded, or somebody takes something from us, and the damage is real, then we will position ourselves, and we will use whatever control we have available to us to ensure that that won't happen again. We will do whatever we can to protect ourselves, right? We will get defensive. We will be almost completely reactionary. And we will carry that wound with us, trying to protect it from deepening. And I think all that, like, there's, there, it makes some sense to establish healthy boundaries. Measures of self-protection are necessary. I don't want to demean any of those things. But I think there's a difference between making sure the wound isn't deepened and actually asking the question, what does it look like in life to move forward and heal from the wounds that we receive? Like, what does healing look like? What does it look like to no longer operate out of this woundedness that we have, where it no longer has the strength to control us and compel us in life? We can get confused. We can become ashamed. It can be unclear for us how we should think and act and look. And I think it's into this confusion that Jesus begins speaking to us about Peter, about forgiveness. Because what's the question Peter asks? How often should I forgive a brother when he has sinned against me multiple times, again after, again and again and again? And in this passage, I think we see, I just want to make a couple of points with you. I just want to spend a few minutes talking about this. But I think Jesus, in this parable, lays out a definition of forgiveness, what forgiveness is. 
And he also lays out for us why forgiveness is so important. So those are my two points, what it is, why it's important. First, what forgiveness is. First, I mean, I think we see is that Jesus is describing forgiveness as a way of life, as a way of saying this is who we are. The question Peter asked Jesus is actually a point of contemporary debate for them. The Pharisees had a common teaching at this time that you would forgive somebody up to three times. That was the expectation laid out clearly by the Pharisees. You forgive somebody three times in a row. So when Peter suggests seven times, he's actually being generous. He's going over and above the common contemporary teaching. He doubles their number and then adds one for good measure is what he does. And, and, And what Jesus says to that would have been staggering to them. And it should be staggering to us because Jesus says, no, not not seven times, 70 times seven times, or 490 times. And Jesus is not telling us to have a, a pad of paper where we mark out how often we have forgiven somebody, but he is using hyperbole to describe that forgiveness is a way of life for us, that it's a, it's a pattern of our life together. It's, it's a posture of heart. Our identity is that we are a people who forgive. He also describes it as an expression of compassion. Look at the state of the king's heart uh, in verse 27, right before he forgives the debt. It says, the king looked at the servant and had pity on him. It was, uh, the, the king had pity on this servant. Now, I think Mr. T has ruined that word forever, okay? Because we think of pity as some kind of condescending thing, like we pity people who are foolish, okay? But like, it, you know, you feel, you, it's, you feel sorry for them. But actually, pity, as it's used in this passage, is an act of great compassion. Pity is the ability to look at somebody and see more than the wrong that they've done. To actually look at somebody and see the circumstances they're in. To even look at somebody with compassion and even identify with the circumstances they're in. The king looked with pity on the servant, and this is critical. He did not only see the money that that servant had lost, but saw the desperate circumstances that that servant was in. And he was moved with pity. He was moved with compassion. And his forgiveness given to that servant was an act of of compassion. It was an acting out that compassion on behalf of the servant. We also see that there's a permanency within this. That that forgiveness, the work of forgiveness is actually permanent. Uh, Look, still in verse 27, when the king forgave the servant, it says he released him. And what this means is that the king will not seek ever again to seek repayment for the debt that was owed. It was final and forever. Now, the king had a number of options available to him at this point. He, uh, he, he could have uh, sold him into slavery in order to recoup some of the debt that was owed. He could have thrown him into jail, which is what he did initially, and then forced his family to work off the debt that he owed, which would be another form of slavery. He also could have killed this man. And nobody would have, all of those options would have been legal, and nobody would have batted an eye. He would have, that would have been a statement. This is what happens when you squander the king's wealth. Uh, and, and, but what the, 
But what forgiveness is, as we see in this passage, is that the king executes a deliberate and permanent release from any attempt to recoup payment for what was owed. It's forever. If it's not forever, if it's not permanent, it's not forgiveness. Now, I have to issue a qualifier here, okay? Because some of us think that means that the king now has forgotten, right? That we, that we think of forgiveness as forgiving and forgetting. I don't think there's any chance that the king in this passage would ever put that servant in a position where he could squander that kind of wealth again. There's a difference between no longer holding this against them and then actually using wisdom in, in how you deal with them going forward, okay? But what we do have here is that's what forgiveness is, is a permanent release from the debt that was owed. And all this means is that when the king forgives him, he absorbs the debt. That he, he, the debt is now his problem. That he eats it. So forgiveness, as Jesus describes it, is making your own personal payment on the debt between you and the person who wronged you. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus uses financial terms to describe what, happen, to describe what happens when we hurt each other? We feel that, don't we? Like, when somebody hurts you, there's a debt. And it's their responsibility to make it right with you, right? And we have all kinds of ways of seeking repayment on the debt that was owed. I mean, it's, you know, we might make them pay by hurting them or their name in the community that we share. Gossip or the work of slander is one of the ways of uh, leveraging debt against somebody who has hurt you. You hurt them back by, by hurting their name in the community that they're in. That's a way of leveraging the debt against that person. The silent treatment is another one. You hurt me, and, I, and so I will withdraw, and I will make sure you know why, and I'll make you feel the weight of the pain that you made me feel. And, 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 and I, won't explain at all, I won't explain at all what it would look like for you how much time has to pass before you and I can be right again? We could go on and on with all the ways that we seek to leverage debt against somebody that had hurt us. It's an attempt to recoup payment on the harm that was caused. And for the king, the problem of this missing money would have been no small thing. I mean, the ways that we are wounded are real. Jesus, I think, is honoring our wounds because 10,000 talents is a huge sum of money. One talent was worth about 20 years' worth of a laborer's wage. I mean, he's talking about a fortune that was lost. It's the kind of money that would have jeopardized the health of any kingdom. Like, how can you secure a kingdom with an unpaid army or the regular social services needed in a kingdom to keep it operating in health? The king himself, his position on the throne, would have been jeopardized if he had absorbed that kind of debt. But he eats it. He just eats it. He makes it his problem. And that's one of the things that he's teaching us here is that when we forgive somebody, we no longer hold the debt against them. And now our wounds are ours to deal with, that we eat the harm. And so that's what we have. Is a, a, I think this is a, 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 it's at least the basic framework that Jesus gives us of what forgiveness really looks like according to Jesus. That it's a way of life, it's an expression of compassion, it's permanent, and it's a personal payment on the debt that was owed. 
Now let me just stop and ask you a question. Did Jesus soften or strengthen your understanding of forgiveness? Like, I, I don't want to presume on you. I don't know where all of you came from. I don't know how forgiveness was talked about growing up or what kind of teachings of forgiveness that you came in here. Jesus lays it out in this story. Does this look like a high call or an easy one? I don't know about you, but this almost feels impossible. Especially when the wound is really deep, right? And so it begs the question, how could we ever do it? Especially when contempt and resentment toward the people that have harmed us can feel really good. Please join me in this place of just admitting with honesty that there are times when being angry at somebody and holding things against them can feel good. Like it's a hard truth, but there are times when we can actually nurture an enjoyment of being angry at somebody. And it can feel like an addictive drug that we just return to and we get life out of it. And when you weigh the high cost of forgiveness against the initial feelings of joy that lie behind contempt or relief that lie behind contempt, how, why would we ever do what Jesus is calling us to in this passage? I mean, really, Jesus, 490 times? Who does that? Well, Jesus says that you do it. Jesus says you do it because you've been forgiven. Listen, if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you have faith in him uh, and seek to follow him, then what lies at the core of what you believe is this truth, that you and I owed an incalculable debt to God. That we ran up a debt we could not pay off with our sin. And Christ, in his great love for you, had compassion on you and suffered the debt we owed at great personal cost to himself. He paid off a debt that we could never pay off. And his forgiveness, his forgiveness for you is permanent That debt is never to be recouped again. For all eternity, you are forgiven in this life and in the next as the community of the redeemed. And so when Jesus is talking about a king in this story, he is talking about himself. And when he was describing the king's heart of pity and compassion to his servant in desperate circumstances, he was describing his own heart when he was looking at you and me. And when he was talking about servants squandering their wealth, well, he was talking about us. And what he did when he gives us this parable is that he gives us a picture of who we are and the grace that we enjoy. And he's making this point 
that for those who have been forgiven so much, that there can't be anything that we can't forgive. I mean, look how ridiculous the unmerciful servant looked in this passage. Um, after having such a tremendous debt canceled, 10,000 denarii, he then goes and holds a fellow servant responsible for such a far less amount. And he, I mean, he looks completely ridiculous when he does that. Like there is evil in this man's heart when he, when he seeks to recoup that. And that is where we find ourselves. That, that, uh, that it is easier for us to remember when it is easier for us to remember just how precious our forgiveness is that it will be easier for us to extend the, our forgiveness to other people when we treasure the forgiveness that we've received. When that is truly precious to us, then we will be also be more generous with giving it to those around us, even when we're harmed. And it is easier for us to say that there's nothing you've done to me that can compare to my sin against God, is what Jesus is teaching us here. And so, fellow believers... Those who seek to follow Christ with the weight of our lives, that's why we forgive. Not because somebody deserves it. Not even because they asked for it. But because we are a people who have been forgiven. And if you don't forgive, then what's the alternative? Like, what's the alternative here? Well, verse 28, when the unmerciful servant discovers what he's owed, he seizes him and begins to choke him. Uh, when that servant begs for his life using the exact same words, he's thrown into jail. It's violent and it's terrible. What moves in the heart of a man that can justify that kind of thing? That's the picture that Jesus gives us of what it does to us to withhold and forgiveness and abide in contempt and resentment. That's the picture that he gives us. There's a fascinating story about a small town in western Pennsylvania called Centralia, Pennsylvania. Uh, If you haven't heard of it, I would encourage you to look it up on YouTube. It's just fascinating. But it was a small town that was built in the late 19th century around the coal mining industry. And it grew into this lovely little town. One of my favorite journalists called it a typical, pleasant, contentedly anonymous, small American town. Doesn't that sound lovely? Like, I would want an Airbnb in that, you know, in that little town. Um, It turns out that Centralia, when it was built, it was unknowingly built on top of a coal seam that ran very, very close to the surface. And nobody knew it. You can't, you can't see it. It's just, it's just there. And they don't know when, but they think that it was in 1962 when there was a fire in the town dump that was quickly put out that actually lit the coal seam that ran underneath the town on fire. And that f- fire burned for years and years and years, and nobody knew it was on fire. And about 20 years later, in the early 80s, things started to happen that were just very, very weird. Like the asphalt on the streets started to melt and change shape and grew really hot to the touch. And and the basement walls of houses grew very warm and people were passing out and getting nauseous because of carbon monoxide poisoning that was coming out of that fire. I mean, it just sounds terrible. There's a story in 1979 that there was this confused gas station attendant 
Uh, notice that his underground tanks registered at 172 degrees Fahrenheit. Those are gas tanks. Like that, that, I mean, it's just very scary, right? And it wasn't until 1981 when the fire that had slowly grown for years opened up a fiery hole in someone's backyard that ran 80 feet deep. Now, that's terrifying. You can go there if you want. Nobody would stop you. I would encourage you not to do that. But what was once a typical, pleasant, contentedly anonymous, small American town is now nothing more than a ghost town. Totally uninhabitable because it became the victim of a fire that can't be put out. This is hard, but hear me if you can. That when we indulge in bitter resentment at those who have hurt us, when we have a tendency to keep a long list of the ways that we have been wronged, it starts slow and it may not be immediately evident, but we are stoking a residual fire inside us that when left untended can grow up within us and seek our harm. It is something that is corrosive to our very souls and it makes us unfit for community, it even makes us less than human. And I think this is what Lewis Smeads, he's a reformed theologian, I think he was talking about this passage when he said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that that prisoner was you. Look, I, I promise I'm not trying to make light of wounds here. If you are here and you're feeling your wounds deeply I, I, and, and, and this is just feels very raw to you, I promise I'm not trying to make light of those things. I stand before you as a pastor who's been wounded several times within the church, and I'm still learning to deal with those. And I think I'm probably speaking to a number of people who knows what it feels like to be wounded in the church that Jesus has has brought us into. And, And we're left with confusion about those things and what to do. And one of the things that Jesus is teaching us here is that forgiveness is not just a path to healing, It's the path that he provides, and he models it before us. And that's where I want to land the plane, is just remember that Peter's question was with regard to a brother who had sinned against him. He's talking about fellow disciples. He's talking about those who already belong in the community of faith. And when we hear that question, we think, how are we supposed to treat each other in the church? I mean, wounds are non-negotiable. We, we, just by being around people, you're in harm's way. We hurt each other, and sometimes in really terrible ways. But Jesus is telling, telling a parable that describes how we should treat those within our church who have hurt us. He's describing what it looks like for us to live together and take care of each other as members of his new kingdom. And every time, listen... Every time we look at each other with eyes of mercy and extend forgiveness to each other, we are proclaiming to the world the healthy, life-giving community that Jesus is building in this place. A place where forgiveness reigns and not contempt. And the opposite is also true. When we treat each other with indignance and resentment and we remember well the ways that we've been harmed, we are teaching a watching world that we're people who don't know how to love, that we're people untouched by the Savior's love. And we're telling each other 
when we do forgive, that we're people who believe in grace because that's what forgiveness leads us to, is the truth of grace and the treasure of grace that's been given to us. Profound forgiveness given by a profound king, meting it out in profound grace. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, what you did to take such as us. I pray that you would expand our hearts and give us an even deeper sense for just how much we've been forgiven and the ways that we are grateful for you who came near to us. And I pray that you, just like you call us to, would turn us into a people that are generous with our forgiveness and yet wise in living it out. I pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.